You're listening to The Word of Hope, a radio ministry of Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. Our preacher is Pastor Brian Wolfmuller with today's Word of Hope. Alleluia. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Dear saints, our gospel text from John chapter 20 covers uh, two events that happen in a week uh, apart from one another. And this is unique amongst the readings. Normally we just have one event, but here we have two. The appearing of Jesus to his disciples on Easter evening, and then a week later his appearing to them when Thomas is also there with him. We want this morning to consider first the chronology of what happens between the resurrection of Jesus and this first appearing, and then consider what the whole thing does, what the whole thing means, what Jesus is accomplishing when he visits them. Now, first, the chronology. Putting the resurrection accounts from all four gospel texts together is a bit complicated. In fact, uh, a lot of the, those who doubt the Scripture's truth will use the, uh, the accounts of the resurrection as proof that there are contradictions in the Bible. And you see this all over when you read the atheists talking about the resurrection. The Bible is obviously wrong because, look, you simply can't make all of these events fit. But if we look carefully, we can. We can see how things unfolded. I put this together in a resurrection chronology that's in the track rack if you want to do some research at home tonight and take a look at the scriptures. But here's generally the outline of how things go. It was sometime in the darkness of Sunday night. And remember that the day starts with the Jewish calendar when the first three stars are out after sunset. So Sunday night is the night before Sunday day. It's sometimes in, in the darkness then of Sunday night, Easter Sunday night, before the Easter sunrise, that Jesus is resurrected. His soul returned from paradise, where he was with the Father and with the criminal crucified on his right, remember? Truly, truly, today you will be with me in paradise. His soul returns from paradise to his body, and he is alive. The tomb at this point is still shut and sealed, and the guard is still outside. But inside, Jesus is now awake from the dead, and he takes the cloth that is over his head and folds it. Well, someone does, maybe an angel, but someone folds the cloth. Jesus folds it and places it there, and then he leaves the tomb. He leaves the tomb not by removing the door, but in the same way that he'll appear in the upper room later, by simply appearing, walking through the door. He does the same thing in the tomb. Now this, in the middle of the night, is when we presume that Jesus descends into hell to proclaim his victory over death and the grave to all those that are there. In the meantime, as the darkness is beginning to break up, but still it's dark, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, Salome, Jonah, and the other women go to the tomb to finish the work of giving Jesus a proper burial. You'll remember that when Jesus died, there was just a little bit of time before sundown, and so they took Him down from the cross hastily, wrapped Him quickly, laid Him in the tomb and covered it, so that they have to come back and finish the work of anointing His body, uh, covering it, cleaning it, wrapping it with spices, uh, as is the custom of the Jews. Now, all these women are on the way with all of their spices, and they remember that the tomb is sealed. 
that there's soldiers sitting there in front of the stone. And they begin to wonder as they're going down to the tomb how in the world they'll get into the tomb to do the work that they set out to do. Now, it's as they approach the tomb that the angel appears and frightens away the guards and rolls away the stone. The women then come and arrive. And Mary Magdalene looks and sees the open tomb and turns and runs to find Peter and John. She doesn't stay long enough to see what the other women see. That is, the angels there. These women, as they're investigating the empty tomb, now see the angel that rolled the stone back and they're told that Jesus is alive, that He's not here anymore, and to go and tell His disciples that He'll meet them in Galilee. This was our text for Easter Sunday last week. Now, here's where things get complicated. Are you ready? Mary Magdalene gets to Peter and John and tells them that the stone is rolled away. And these two, with Mary following, now race to the tomb. In the meantime, the women, having talked to the angel, go to find Peter and John at home. And they pass each other somehow in the darkness. As the sun is rising, Peter and John reach the tomb. Peter gets there, uh, John gets there first, but Peter goes in and they see the tomb is empty. They see the cloth that was wrapped around Jesus' head lying there folded. And John, the text says, believes. Peter doesn't know what's happening. Mary now comes to the tomb and Peter and John leave to go back home and try to sort out what's happening. As Mary Magdalene lingers, she talks first to the angel who comes to visit her, and then to Jesus. Remember Jesus, she, she says, she thinks that maybe Jesus is the gardener. And she says to him, if you've taken him somewhere, please tell me where you've put him. And, and Jesus says to her, Mary. And she turns and says, Rabboni, teacher. And he says, don't cling to me. I haven't ascended to my God and your God, but go and tell my disciples what you've seen. In the meantime, Peter and John return home and find the other women waiting there who then tell them about the report that they heard from the angels. This group now goes to find the other ten disciples. Maybe they're staying at Bethany. The women and Peter. And they go on their way to find them. And they find them perhaps staying at Bethany. When these other disciples, having heard the report of the women and Peter and John, one of them, Clopas, and another, we don't know, depart from where they're staying and go to Emmaus, which is seven miles north of Jerusalem, where other disciples are staying, who surely want to hear the report of the empty tomb and the angels. All the other disciples now together come back from Bethany to Jerusalem, where Mary Magdalene finds them, and reports to them that she has seen Jesus. In the meantime, on the road to Emmaus, Jesus shows up. And this is Luke 24, one of the most beautiful and wonderful texts of the resurrection. Jesus is walking alongside with them, but they don't recognize Jesus because the text says Jesus hid himself from them. He's playing a game of hide-and-go-seek. <laughs> and he walks along with them, and as he's hidden his face, he begins to reveal himself, not with his face, but with the Bible. 
He tells them, Oh, foolish, slow to believe. Didn't you know that the Son of Man had to suffer all of these things before He came into His glory? And beginning from Moses and all of the prophets, He unfolded the Scriptures, all the things concerning Himself. When they finally arrive at Emmaus, Jesus pretends like He's going to keep going, but they compel Him, Look, it's almost night. Come in for supper. So Jesus goes and He appears and He shows Himself to them in the breaking of the bread. Oh, we should have known it was Jesus this whole time. And then He disappears. And these two, Clopas and the others, now turn right around and run back to Jerusalem to tell the disciples that they've seen Jesus. That's the second appearance on this day. Second of four. Sometime now in the afternoon... And this is a tricky one. Sometime in the afternoon, Jesus appears to Peter by himself. Because when these two arrive back to report to all the disciples gathered together that they've seen Jesus, they say, well, Mary has too, and so has Peter. Now, this is the point where our text picks up. The disciples have just gotten word that Jesus has appeared to Mary, that he's appeared to Peter, that he's appeared to uh, the two disciples on the road to Emmaus and those disciples where they were eating dinner. And, and then at some point now, Thomas will leave this assembly. And then in the evening of Easter, Jesus comes into their midst and appears to them. His fourth appearance on this Easter Sunday. The disciples are gathered perhaps in the same room where they celebrated the Last Supper, and they have the door locked, the text says, for the fear of the Jews. They're still trying to piece together what's going on. But this they know for sure. The Jews want Jesus to be dead. And the Jews who put Jesus to death want uh, are already nervous that there's going to be a conspiracy around this man that the disciples would try to fake a resurrection. This is why, remember, on Holy Saturday, some from the Pharisees go to Pilate and say, the man said that he would rise on the third day, so let's set a guard and seal the tomb so, so that his disciples don't come and steal away his body and the second deception will be worse than the first. And Pilate sends them there saying, you have a guard, go and make it secure as you know how. You see, those Jews who had conspired against Jesus, the unbelievers and the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin, were already worried about a conspiracy about what would happen if the body of Jesus was missing. The disciples would be first on their list of suspects for this crime. And you can believe that if they got to the disciples, that the things they would do to them would would match the things that they'd done to Jesus two days earlier. So the disciples know now that there's an empty tomb and that they're the first ones that are going to be blamed. And so they lock the door and they're terrified that at any moment, the guard from the Sanhedrin will smash down the door and will take them to Caiaphas' house and they'll get a trial like Jesus and a death like Jesus. They're there watching the door, nervous, trying to figure it out. Worried about being crucified, maybe that same day or the next. But the door doesn't come crashing down. In fact, Jesus doesn't even use the door, (laughs) but simply appears in their midst. Peace to you, he says, over and over. Peace to you. And then he breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they're, they're forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. 
So far the text. This is the order of things. This is how they happen, but we have to figure out still what Jesus is doing. Our Jesus, when he was breathing his last breath on the cross, spoke these wonderful words. It is finished. The work that he was sent to do was accomplished. He offered on the cross himself as the sacrifice for the sins of the entire world. It is finished means that he is the Savior, that he is the Redeemer, that our salvation has been accomplished. And now he stands before his disciples, now apostles, and gives out his victory to them and to the world. Jesus, with these words, is establishing the church, which is, dear saints, nothing other than the institution created by Jesus to deliver his, it is finished, to the corners of the world. Jesus is here sending his apostles to forgive the sins of the entire world, to set people free. Jesus wants everyone to know that the it is finished is for them. Jesus, dear saints, wants you to know that his it is finished is for you. It's finished with you. Your sins are forgiven. Now, some people are confused or perhaps even angry when they come to visit a Lutheran church or they come here and they see the pastor standing there up front saying something like, I forgive you all your sins. Who is that guy to forgive sins? What does he think he is? I don't need a man to stand between me and God. God can forgive me of my sins. Perhaps you've even thought this. But this verse, verse these words of Jesus, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. Stand behind what we do in the absolution and behind what we do every time we gather as a church. We forgive sins because Jesus told us to. Because Jesus authorized it. And the reason Jesus told us to and authorized it is because he loves us. But look, we have to be clear on this. It's not the pastor. It's not me who's forgiving you. If you sinned against me, you might want me to forgive you. But all of us drag into this room every Sunday sins much greater and more terrifying than that. Sins that condemn us. Sins that can plunge us right to hell. We need the forgiveness of the one who hung on the cross for us. And that is exactly what Jesus gives in the absolution. Here's the picture or the illustration, and I've used it before, but you guys have to hear my pictures again because I never can think of a better one. Maybe next year. Picture yourself in jail, and there's a judge and a bailiff. The judge is the one who hears the case, and he says about you that you're free. So the bailiff, hearing the word of the judge, but being the one who has the key to your jail cell, walks over to your cell, puts the key in the keyhole, opens the door and says, you're free. You can go. Now, who set you free? Did the judge set you free or did the bailiff set you free? The answer is yes. 
If the judge says you're free, but the bailiff went to a Rockies game, you'd still be in jail. If the judge says that you're not free and the bailiff sneaks over in the cover of night and lets you out, well, you'd be running around, but you still wouldn't be free. You see, the judge declares you to be free and the bailiff with his office of the keys brings that freedom to you and sets you free. So it is with the absolution. The freedom and forgiveness that's being given to you is not from me. It's from the one who sits on the throne and judges the world. It's from God the Father who hears the testimony of the death of Jesus on your account. He says you are free in heaven. And he wants you to hear it right here on earth. That's why Jesus institutes the church. So that the freedom that he won on the cross can be delivered to you. So that the forgiveness that he won on the cross can be brought right into your ears. And you can be certain and sure and without doubt that you and your sins are forgiven. That the way to heaven is wide open. That God loves you. And this speaking of the forgiveness of sins, this absolution, is not just for pastors to do. It belongs to the church. It belongs to the Christian. This authority to forgive sins belongs to you. I asked a group last week, if, uh, a group uh, sitting around having a Bible study, how many of you have forgiven someone their sins? How many of you, after you've heard someone uh, talk of their guilt or their shame or their regret to you or some great difficulty, have said to them, I forgive you your sins? I mean, we can say, do you know, dear friend, that, that Jesus died for you? But we can say more. I asked the group how many had and no one had. Dear saints, this is for you to say too. When you're talking to your friends, when you're visiting with your family, when you're in a conversation with someone and they're telling you their shame and they're telling you their guilt, they're telling you their regret, which is nothing but guilt with wrinkles on it, old guilt. <laughs> when they're telling you this, you have the authority from Jesus to say, I forgive you your sins. In the name of Jesus, your sins are forgiven. And if you forgive anyone their sins, they are forgiven. You too, as you are free, can set people free. You, as you are forgiven, can also forgive. This is the freedom that the resurrection of Jesus brings to us. And the joy and the peace and the comfort that he intends. But look, that's not all there is in the text. That is all there is in the sermon if you're following along, but that's not all there is in the text. Because look, the, the text goes on to tell us what's happening the next week. The ten disciples were gathered there to hear Jesus say, go and forgive sins. But he comes and finds them a week later. And you know where they are? In the same exact place. Locked up in the upper room for fear of the Jews. Now, Thomas wasn't there the first day. They were there for fear. And we assume that Thomas wasn't there because he wasn't afraid. 
Maybe he was out getting groceries. That's what I think. Or maybe he was out trying to make sure all the other disciples were all right, that none of them had been arrested and thrown in jail. We don't know why Thomas wasn't there, but he was there because he wasn't afraid like these other nine or these other ten that were there. And then a week later, Thomas is there, but you know who shouldn't be? The other ten. Why? Because they had seen Jesus. And Jesus had told them, peace to you. Jesus had said, your sins are forgiven. These other ten should have been out testifying to the resurrection of Jesus, putting their life on the line for the sake of the gospel. When Jesus came back a week later, you know who he should have found in the upper room? Thomas. And Thomas by himself. But all of them were there. All of them were afraid. Doubting Thomas? No. Doubting disciples. All of them. Even after Jesus appeared to them? Yes. Even after Jesus forgave their sins? Yes. Even after Jesus breathed on them His Holy Spirit? Yes. Because why? Because they were afraid. Because they were weak. Because they had doubts. Because, dear saints, they're just like you and I. I mean, is it enough to hear the absolution one time? Is it? Jesus comes a week later to say, peace to you. Your sins are forgiven. I suspect that every time we talk about the absolution and about confessing our sins, that in each one of us, in our conscience or in our minds, there's one or two or three or four or five or a dozen sins that come to mind, right? But maybe one or two sins that keep coming up. One or two sins that you keep trying to stop. One or two sins that are constantly badgering you. One or two sins that when I say, do you feel guilty, you think immediately of that thing that you did or that thought that you had or whatever it was. And the absolution is for this. The disciples are afraid and they're afraid and they're afraid and yet they stand forgiven and forgiven and forgiven. Jesus Peter says to Jesus, how many times should we forgive sins? Seven times? And Jesus says, 70 times seven. And if that's how much we're to forgive, imagine the forgiveness of Jesus. It knows no limits. Dear friends, Jesus wants you to know without question that that sin that's troubling your conscience, that one, is forgiven. That shame that troubles you, that is covered by His blood. That regret that every time you search your own life that comes back to the surface, that thing is covered by His blood. It's died for on the cross. He won the victory over it when He rose from the dead. And now He has established His church, this church, so that you could know without question and without doubt that you are forgiven. That it's forgotten. That it's covered. And that you will not be held to account for it because Jesus was held to account for it on the cross. This is what Jesus is doing. When he shows his side and his, and his hands to Thomas. Look at these scars, Thomas. These scars are for you. Look at these scars, disciples. These are for you. Look, dear Christians, these scars are for you. And you have it. In the absolution. You have this in His body and blood. You have this in the Gospel. Because the it is finished of the cross is for you.
And that, as long as we live on this sinful world, in the midst of sin and trouble, that is our comfort and our peace. So, as a called and ordained servant of the word, I announce the grace of God unto all of you. And in the stead and by the command of my Lord Jesus Christ, I forgive you all your sins. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. May the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. We hope you were blessed by today's Word of Hope. Hope Lutheran Church is located at 1345 Macon Street in Aurora, Colorado. Their weekly schedule is as follows. Sunday morning worship at 9.15, adult Bible class and youth Sunday school at 10.45 a.m. On Tuesday mornings, there is a matin service at 8.30 a.m. with a Bible class to follow at 9.30 a.m. You can find out more about Hope Lutheran Church at www.hope-aurora.org. That's www.hope-aurora.org. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you in His grace.